did I think about you? Did I want to call you? Did I want to be with you, Kevin? Of course I did. But so much time had passed. It was too late. And I knew that if I told you what happened, that you would never believe me. I believe you. You do? Why wouldn't I believe you? You're here. podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is The Fear of God. Hello, and welcome to the podcast at the intersection of faith and fear, where every week we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And Reed was here a minute ago and we were playing a word game. And then he said solemnly that it was time to go on a significant journey of self-discovery. And yes, that is a heavy statement. And then he asked if I wanted to go And I had to reluctantly decline telling him that I think, dear brother, that would defeat the purpose. Um, I hope he'll be back. And frankly, I am just not sure. But in the meantime, allow me to welcome you, dear listener, back into our series on learning how to lose, titled In the Morning. This series is meant to help us meditate on loss and grief and absence and sorrow, and just maybe hope. We have covered a lot of material in this series, desperately clawing our way towards comprehension, or at the least, a better means of knowing how to occupy the space that is our lives, knowing ourselves as ourselves, relearning our place in the face of paradigm shifts, weathering apocalypse, trusting that new can be made amidst the pain and the rubble. Knowing that this fragile flesh is but a gift to be cherished, this season of mourning, like all of them, a grace to tether us to each other. For only with each other can mourning be endured, can hope be made flesh, can God be made visible. But, as I am quite, quite 
prone to do, I am getting very ahead of myself. Because here at The Fear of God, we explore. We don't explain. Except for right now, when I explain that you can listen to The Fear of God at your nearest podcast platform. You can watch The Fear of God on YouTube. And you can browse The Fear of God on the web at thefearofgodpodcast.com. And, well, my goodness, if it isn't the bravest lackey on earth. Reed, you are here. You are here. <laughs> Welcome back, my friend. Man, I, I could feel the intentionality with which we were not leaning into a bit, but rather just being in it and yeah, so uh let's, uh let's be in it then so yes let's be in it i am i am happy and privileged and honored to be in it with you here at the end of uh this uh long 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 journey through this year and through this series um well the so, year's yeah. not over yet sadly <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately unfortunately <laughs> the hits do keep on coming um <laughs> indeed we've got some announcements you want to kick us off there yeah. while i kind of Try to gather myself. Absolutely. Okay. So first up, we have book club. Book For club! those of you, this That's is a really handsome edition. This is a really handsome edition. How'd you, how'd and you I find don't. That one? I, okay. So since you asked me that question, <laughs> I know that the reason you're mentioning that it's a handsome edition is because this is, in fact, the edition that you gifted me uh, so what? many years ago. It was. It's what a, a fella. It's a very treasured possession because not only is this a very nice hardcover edition, which was gifted to me by my good friend, uh, Nathan Rouse. By the way, for listeners who are not watching, I am holding <laughs> up the book uh, by Ray Bradbury called Something Wicked This Way Comes. My particular edition, which I've read the book through three or four times. This particular edition has only been read once, but I am excited to read it again. Um, and not only was this edition gifted to me by one Mr. Nathan Rouse, but... Uh, it was also the first copy that I had signed by one Look Mr. Ray Bradbury, and uh, and so that was the very first time I met him in Thousand Oaks with a few uh, friends at a, a Barnes and Noble out in Thousand Oaks. And um, so, listeners, book club is coming, uh, starting next week. Okay, your time is up if you have not procured a copy of Something Wicked This Way Comes, your time is up. You need to do that, either by supporting your local library, which I'm sure Ray Bradbury would have appreciated, or by purchasing a copy yourself from any of your fine bookstores, uh, used or otherwise. Get a copy. Digitally is fine. Um, get a copy of Something Wicked This Way Comes, and we'll be announcing at the end of this episode exactly how much of it you need to read to be prepared for our conversation, which begins next week as part of book club it's very you know, exciting. i did um you might have seen just today i did procure a hard copy i did I not did want to see that i didn't i wanted to avoid the digital experience i actually wanted to avoid the amazon of it all but i got worried about the time and so oh, I pulled I see. the trigger there but it is a hard copy um awesome. i like the tactile experience that's and, great um that's Looking great. forward to traipsing through that text with you and the listeners. Um, in addition to book club, uh, beginning next week, we are in the thick of our 200th episode countdown, which is utter insanity to me. And we are uh, <laughs> celebrating at least in part by a little segment we call sound bites. We are asking for you all to send some of you have done this and, and my, how we have appreciated those. Send in an audio recording, uh, ideally of the 30 second to a minute, uh, time frame 
Um, it can, you can pre-script it if you need to, to keep it within the constraints of the time. Um, but just identify, you know, why are you here? Why are you still here? How'd you get here? Um, what do you enjoy? Uh, what is your takeaway? Why do you keep coming back? Uh, what was a favorite series? What episode had a profound impact on you or didn't? Uh, what recurring gag, uh, continues to bring a smile to your face? Uh, any of the above or something utterly unrelated to the things just named. Uh, but we want to hear from you. Send those to fear of God podcast at gmail.com. Again, is that right? Read fear oh, of yes. God podcast no at gmail.com. Right. Um, and we will receive that. And we are going to start compiling those towards uh, dropping them into our 200th episode, which uh, <laughs> will feature a very fun piece of work we will be covering nothing oh so heavy as we have been doing <laughs> of late so sound bites and book club what is last on the list for our business time riri okay so uh we are headed into october october is halloween times around here we are very very excited about that but immediately following october we will be diving back into our other year-long sort of traits and that is hashtag 2020 2020. So listeners who have been with us for a little while, you know what that means. That means that you need to go and vote on your favorite horror films. Now, this is the final run with one very important exception. Uh, the rest of the episodes of the year past October are going to be featuring uh, a, a countdown of your favorite horror films from the last half of that double decade. So um, at, <laughs> we are going to have... The last half of a double decade? Well, I don't even know what you just said. What does that mean? The <laughs> last half of a double decade would be almost a full decade. So, oh, but, you know, I figure, okay. <laughs> I figure I'd just say it the hard way. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Achievement unlocked. <laughs> Nailed it. So, um, so uh, but no, seriously, from 2013 on through 2020, we are going to have the surveys available for you for you to go and vote. So um, uh, you head on to fear, the fear of God podcast, uh, dot com and you click the banner at the top. That will take you to the surveys that are available. You go, you vote on your favorites. Uh, you can spend all of October doing that. So go through and vote on your favorites. And then uh, immediately following October, again, with one very special exception, we will be spending the rest of the year uh, counting down your favorites for the last half of... Uh, you know, the, or the last, it's not the last half of a decade, which is what tripped me up before, mm. uh, kind of the, all, the last almost <laughs> decade. So <laughs> whatever, um, whatever. But anyway, one of those from 2013 the, the to The previous half dozen years. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. So oh, uh, anyway, so that'll, that'll be business it. Go time. to the survey, so vote. That's start, start, time. start reading. Something Wicked This Way Comes. Send us your Absolutely. sound, send us your sound bites for episode 200, which is fast, fast, fast approaching. And can't believe it. Vote uh, in in real life, please. And in <laughs> 2020, 2020, <laughs> because because eerily enough, 2020, 2020 was meant as a call to the real life vote. You can make happen. Um, it's true. It's true. So, yeah, that is business time. Read. Shall time. we flash forward a bit Ooh. and find each other? Indeed, indeed. Can I, can I maybe Do kick it. us off with something Whatever. that, um, uh, what? Do it. Whatever you got to say, just go for <laughs> it. I am so, here um, and present. This is potentially going to be something of a, of a, of a weighty conversation, I would imagine. So, uh, it, as you are prone to do, you, you like to throw some curveballs and surprises <laughs> at me. 
Um, so my impulse I would just l- then was to cuss because I was like, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> but the no was not in so, there. It was going to be the so, other O. So I am going to throw a bit of a curveball at you, okay. one Mister One Mister Nathan Rouse, and hopefully it's cute and funny and not disastrously <laughs> stupid. But um, but uh, if we'll we can see. just split the difference, we might be okay. That's a fair point. So so Mister now uh, so Mister Rouse, I yeah. have uh, a couple of of questions for you. This is okay. you know what you can maybe pull out your copy of Foils Falavery if you have some some difficulty uh, with this. Um, but yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I've got it's it right, right here. So. Yeah, it's right there. So, um, what? so, so I'm going I'm to ask you. I'm in a fragile state, Reed. So I'm be gonna, careful I'm, of your questions. I'm going to prompt you for a couple of things and I just okay. need to, to you to give me whatever, you know, hits okay. you off the top of your head. Okay. First all of all, right. I need, I need a number from you. Just a number, any number. You're going to make me cry just doing this. Um, okay. 19. 19. Okay. Uh, I need a plural noun from you, sir. A plural noun. Um, uh, uh, children. Children. Hey, okay. I probably shouldn't have coupled the word children with the number 19 because that seems to be inviting a lot of problems, but go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I need, um, a type of place. If the category is confusing, a type of of place. If if the category is confusing, I can, um, like, um, a restaurant. Like, does that function? Okay. Restaurant. Uh, okay, just taking a note here. Okay, I need an event, specific or general, your choice. Election day. Okay, not going to leave that one alone. No. Um, okay, now I need a verb. Um, weep. <laughs> you can tell what is on my brain. No kidding. Okay, I need an adjective. <laughs> Okay, an adjective, which is a describing word, right? It it is. It is. <laughs> Most of the time it is. <laughs> um lovely. Aw. Is that okay. work as an adjective? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That's an absolutely. Adverb? It's a I mean Sure, we'll go with it. Yeah, it's it, it's it, it can be Does either. it meet the need um, you're after? <laughs> a, it does. It does. Okay, um it need uh, a unit of time. Um epoch. Ooh, look at that. <laughs> didn't have to go to foil for that one. No, you didn't. Okay, um, I need an ing verb. Mm, um, uh, jumping. Okay, um, only three or four more of these, and then okay. another noun. And this is fun. We can do this for an hour. It will save me a lot of <laughs> heaviness. What did you say? A noun? A noun, yeah. Um... Uh, a car. <laughs> okay. <laughs> a talent or skill? Hmm. Uh, a talent or skill. Breakdancing. That's wonderful. Okay. Um, a salutation. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll do my usual top of episode one and go real easy. Hello. Okay. Adjective. Doggone it. Um, there's only two. There's this one and one more, and then you're off the hook. Uh, uh, learned? Oh, okay. Does that work? Yes, it does. Okay. All right. Keep this next one PG-13. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, need a, I need a body part. Oh, I knew that was what you were about to say when you prefaced it that way. I was like, he's going to ask for a body part. Um, <laughs> 
That makes me think of a funny story. Um, <laughs> earlobe. All right. So, so listeners who may not know why we're doing this, uh, if you have not been following along, but I mean, you still wanted to, watch yeah, the leftovers. <laughs> watch the leftovers. But the uh, near the beginning, near the uh, in the early, you know, probably first ten minutes of the uh, series finale of the leftovers features uh, a lovely scene that I'm sure we'll get to between Nora and her brother Matt when they are uh, Matt is uh, asking her questions and having her fill out what he calls a Matt lib, which is basically Mad Lib. And uh, I thought, you know, it might be fun for. No. For us to put great. together a, a little, I love it. a little, uh, a little read lib or a fog lib, whatever you want to call it. Okay, so here we go. About 19 years ago, <laughs> there were these two children named Nathan and Reed. They met one evening while they were at a restaurant, hanging out at an election day. <laughs> they began to weep right away and quickly became lovely friends. <laughs> Nearly this sounds two- right so far. <laughs> it does. I'm like, you, you, you just, I, I didn't share this with you beforehand. Sure. Nope. Ne- nearly two epochs later. Mm, yes. They had decided to begin jumping a car together. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> now. It would have to be together because for the life of me, I can barely do that by myself. Go ahead. And now, after four years and countless breakdancing together. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> they both want to extend a heart-filled hello to all of our learned listeners out there mm. in the Fear of God community. From the bottom of our earlobes, we love you all. <laughs> that was excellent. <laughs> I'm actually surprised at how well it all worked together because yeah. I was just like, oh, there's this, well, this, 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 this. But, I could, I yeah. probably could have been a little wilder with my responses. It's, but well, my, but instead, so I'm at the bottom of a well right now. Um, uh, <laughs> what's funny about you doing so, yes. that? What's funny about you doing that mm-hmm. is I, I going into right now, like our recording time. Uh, sure, sure. The question I had for you, which is like. The oh. pendulum, the pendulum swung the opposite direction. Is Reed, oh, I see. What matters more, empirical truth or a better story? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Can I answer, please? Okay, so um, I think the answer. I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat a little bit. Sure you are. Um, it's what I do. Um, I think. It's a very good question, and I think the answer to it depends on what you are trying to do, and I think the answer depends on, like, who you're trying to be. So, obviously- Who you're trying to be or who you're trying to reach? Hmm. Maybe all of the Both. above. right. Yeah. Um, the Matrix has a statement <laughs> that I think is, uh, is wiser than the film deserves. That, that's a really food. good film. Yeah, <laughs> it's a really good film, and it, it it's an outstanding one of the greatest science fiction films of all time. It's an outstanding know, viewing experience. But there's a line in it that I think has some admitted profundity, but maybe is more profound than people give it credit for, given that it's centralized in the Matrix. And that is that there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Mm. And I do feel, and you know, I didn't plan it because I didn't know your question. But I do feel like that's really when I hear the the difference between empirical truth and a better story, I think we're coming to the difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Because I think in terms of, you know, ultimate aims, cataclysmic apocalyptic ends, I would probably have to say empirical truth matters a bit more because facts are facts and, and, and truth is truth. But when it comes to walking the path, um, that is a that is a trickier subject because 
I feel that even if we were to, I would say this, I would say that any of us, if we were to encounter the full force of what would be deemed empirical truth, would just shrivel and dissolve like so much dust underneath the weight of all of it. And I don't think that that's necessarily really what's asked for us. Have you ever read the book or seen the film Life of Pi? Uh, no. Okay. I do like Pi. <laughs> Not that one. Okay. Um, I feel like I, I feel like we're at the bottom of the well right now. We're yeah. just like starting at the bottom. I get you'd, it. Uh, you'd push a lackey down a well, but uh, hey, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right there. Um, you knew he, you knew you had to make at least a yeah, uh, make a roll appearance. Um, okay, so Life of Pi. Okay, what? Where are you going? Because I've got a thought connected to your truth story response, but I want you to finish if it's like connected. I'm gonna. Uh, it is. It is connected, okay. and I'm gonna wrap a bow on. Cool. It is un. It is impossible for me to say what I'm about to say without slant spoilers for Life yeah, of Pi. It's fine. Okay. Uh, so Life of Pi features. Yeah, it features a the opening salvo of the book Life of Pi, and I believe the film as well. It, the main character says, "I'm going to tell you a story that will make you believe in God," hmm. and the story itself is fantastical about a boy on a raft with zoo animals particularly a tiger and the the story proceeds and things happen and the details are not specific to my point uh this is the slant spoiler some might even hear it and and think this is a that's an actual spoiler don't even say it's slant that's a deliberate huge spoiler so if you really don't it want was not in the queue for me so listener okay. turn off your ears if yeah. you don't want to know listeners skip forward about maybe you know two to three minutes if you absolutely don't want Life of Pi spoiled for you at all. Um, towards the end of the film there and the book, um, there is some uh, confusion thrown on the narrative we've just heard and whether or not the animals and what happened actually were representing people and what people did instead of mm. animals and what animals did. And now I'm just mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> and so um and so so anyway that that is but it doesn't definitively say one way or another sure it it just throws shade towards a possibility because the character that tells us that story they don't believe him and then he says well would you believe this story and then tells a story that involves all human people doing human things that are very you know that have echoes and lines you could draw to what the animals did and so then at the end they are asked a very similar and i didn't fully prepare to talk about it so i i, I, I don't have the quote in front of me but at the end they're asked a very similar question say like which is the better story and which is the you know which is the story that most uh represents what happened and and most represents the truth of the matter and they you know they say like well whichever story you know, they basically land on, well, whichever story helps you more, like whichever story, co you know, helps you cope, helps you do all that. Mm -hmm. And then the person says, and so it is with God. Hmm. And, wow. and, and so there, there's a lot of, you know, I'm being very, you know, there may be people who love Life of Pi who are like, Reed, you missed out, like, you, you, sure, you sure. No, it's fine, paraphrased but, yeah. a bunch of different ways. But it, but it is very similar sort of through line of the question that you've asked about, like, you know, again, my answer would revolve somewhere around the difference between knowing the path and walking the path, the difference between, you know, like what what gets you from A to B, all of these different si sorts of things. Uh, it's complex. It's 
it's worthy of conversation. That's my that's my answer towards things. So. It's interesting because I actually didn't. I meant it as conversation starter. I didn't have a preloaded answer or even response. But as you were talking, um, uh, what kind of came to me because my impulse because of so many observations of empirical truth abused and and used as mm. bludgeon mm. uh that i would steer towards right. the better story approach because what came to me while you were talking was um uh i think was it was it a dickinson sister that said tell the truth but tell it slant um but uh it might have been I, the notion of a better story. And, and to be fair, I wrote this question, what matters more empirical, empirical truth or a better story? The, the phrase, a better story is borrowed from the episode, but I think, and this would echo through our four years of podcasting and, and find it's nadir in uh, that's a Nathan, not a foil um, in uh, on writing. Cause what came to me was um, not just holy imagination, but that the better story and, or ultimately the best story is imbued with imaginative truth and Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. something of that imaginative truth is going to be the, the Higgs boson field that enwraps all of reality. In other words, sure. Yeah. People who want pure fact really don't, you know, and, and how often are our efforts at pure fact still nonetheless laced with, our own biased perspective, you know, yeah. which isn't necessarily me loading into the conversation. Oh, literally all truth is relative. I, I'm not really saying that. I'm not necessarily not saying that, but just my response to that question and read. We're at, we're at the book of Nora. Yeah. We're at episode is- eight and yeah. I don't make any promises as to my sustained state of composure through this conversation um do you have any you you referenced this last week or i'm sorry on um two weeks ago apocalypto uh some some specific trivial bits i don't know if you were referencing one story or a host of thoughts i have Um, just a couple um yeah just a couple that might uh but but what i would uh, say for this conversation and for its necessity listeners you know this this serves not only as a you know, summary recap of the final episode of season three of The Leftovers, which is titled The Book of Nora, but also serves as our direct conversation about the season as a whole. And since it is the final season, I'm sure as of the series as a whole. Um, so as I, you know, bounce into trivial bits or whatever, please do not feel co-host Nathan friend. Uh, please do not feel like, oh, well, we have to get through all the trivial bits. Like, sure. you know, let, let, let's go where we want to go. Um, uh, I'll start with kind of the more cursory stuff, and then I do have one that I that will probably yield some conversation. Um, so one thing that I noted that I thought was really cool, the producers at HBO, uh, in a very, as the trivial bit that I read uh, expressed it, in a very rare gesture, uh, the producers promised not to give any notes on the finale. They huh. they promised to let the finale be what the creators wanted it to be. Um, so the uh, episode finale, not necessarily the season, is what you're saying, right? Right, right, right. right. The episode finale, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, some of these are going to directly tie into the the actual final 
five to ten minutes of the episode. So I don't know if you kind of oh, want well, to hold that, that back bit. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So we can bring those things up and, and just sort of dialogue about them. But I have uh, the the one trivial bit that does reference for something earlier in the episode is what I was going to mention, you know, two weeks ago in Apocalypto uh, regarded the ending of the episode certified. Yeah, let's do it. Um, and and so the ending of the episode certified ends with Nora, you know, no, presumably. Oh, in the, sorry, uh, sorry. sorry, Laura. Uh, sorry, Lori. <laughs> um, it ends with Lori presumably going off of uh the the boat and her and Nora having spoken in earlier in that episode about what a seamless way that would be to sort of unfortunately commit suicide. The episode leaves you feeling like that might just be what Lori's done because Lori, the episode certified opened where seven years prior or like, you know, at least five or six years prior, she had uh, attempted suicide. So that that threads through all of this. And even when she called herself out and called herself Judas, uh, I believe it was Michael pointed out that Judas hanged himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so the thread of, of suicide, you know, laced all the way through the episode. Well, the trivial bit that I had was that. It was originally the intention of the writers and of Lindelof that Laurie had, in fact, committed suicide, that that was what we saw. And I'm going to read it as I wrote it down, because I'm copying a lot of this from where I had gleaned it, which uh, in this case was in IMDb. It said um, there had been it that that decision to have Laurie commit suicide, as they put it, caused a complete breakdown and divide in the mm-hmm. writer's room, mm-hmm. like caused a complete rift in them being able to proceed with the rest of the show. And they said they they couldn't move on from it. There had been plenty of other tragic things that had happened that they'd resolved and understood this is the this is the natural progression for the story, but they could not get a sense of closure on ending Lori's story there and that way. Um, and so they said it all just felt very, very different. They went all the way through, they filmed it that way, all of that stuff. And then Lindelof went and reviewed the footage and and when he looked at it, he looked at Amy Brenneman's incredible performance in that final scene. And he said when he watched that scene, he said she does not look like someone who's choosing to die. And that was what and he wasn't just like trying to bring relief to the writer's room. He was looking and kind of taking in everything that had right. come, everything that had that had gone on between Laurie and Nora and 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 determined as a creative, this is not a character who is deciding to die in this moment. And so because of that. Uh, they uh, included the scene where uh, in the finale where Lori uh, receives a phone call from Nora, right. uh, ostensibly, you know, 20 years in the future or so, uh, where uh, they receive a phone call and we find out that Lori did not, in fact, kill herself and went on to presumably a, a, a plentiful life with John. Well, uh, and following it's, that. it's interesting. Um, so, yes, if you're not following along for whatever reason, this this entire episode jumps forward from the previous narrative arc, uh, an undetermined amount of time. Um, but clearly, you know, 10 to 20 years as Reed alluded to there. And so I, I too have been, uh, today, (laughs) you know what you shouldn't do when you are just a general sensitive Sally and, uh, paper over your sensitivity with cynicism about your national geography and location and watch one of your most 
endearing and enduring emotional shows finales <laughs> on one night in order to talk about it the next night because bridging the watching and the talking is going to be more consumption and you got to go to work and on your way to work you're having to turn off the podcast oh, interview with yeah. Lindelof because you're getting teary just hearing the people talk about the dang show anyway so yeah just <laughs> oh be gosh. careful if you got to work between watching and listening um and in our case talking so I, I i will address can we just talk about the lori moment and and Oh, please. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, it's really interesting because by, you know, uh, in in these ways that we develop in, especially in our pop culture saturated environment, like you identify with creators and, and personal, uh, you know, kind of famous personalities and that sort of thing. Um, you know, I would probably be quite, uh, starstruck if I ever met Lindelof, but part of all of this is just, however, great or garbage a person feels lost is the, the sensibilities that show was scratching after resonated with me on a very deep level and, and continued to on after it. And, and I remember pitching the show leftovers to you and saying, I yeah. think this show is however harrowing it might be sort of episode, to episode, season to season, scene to scene. Like it, it feels like a distillation. Uh, it feels like lost without the broadcast baggage. The broadcast TV package. Yeah. It's like this is sure, if, if sure. you could just make a, a javelin through the heartbeat of what this guy seems to be after as a creative force and, and the energy he's trying to summon, this show feels like it's that distilled. And yeah, right. when Lori, when Certified ended the first time, it was like a boulder in a pond to me. Mm-hmm. Like this, this. Mm-hmm. And hear me, it wasn't even in a, oh my gosh, I am now judging the creative energy behind the show. It, it was not that kind of paradigm shift at all. It was simply, my heart can't handle what I'm worried you might be saying here. And or, and mm. or, at least for the purposes and containment of that show, are saying. And so mm-hmm. it's really fascinating when uh, you, you grew up explicitly and specifically of the Pentecostal stripe. And I did not yes. and read my dear brother. The, the, the first time watching the finale of this series as, as, as much as this show scrapes the, the sort of walls of your heart to, to ring every bit of maybe manipulated, maybe naturally grown emotion out of it. It might be. It might be the number one most exultant single moment of the series when you just see Lori in the finale. For me, right, it was right, right. the first sure, time through. It sure. was immediate hot tears and the desire to just stand up and and praise or something. You know, it's to turn yes, on, it's sure, to turn on sure, skillets, sure, sure. skillets, alien youth in the car. <laughs> 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 and so it's really yes. fascinating because today that's a long, super long winded way of getting to the story you're telling here. And that's, yeah, I, I, um, Collider has a bunch of great interviews from, from Lindelof around that time, the website Collider. And I also, I referenced this on at least season one's re, uh, you know, final episode, <clears throat> possibly season two's. I don't remember. There's a podcast called Living Reminders. And, Oh, the, yes. The final yeah, episode yeah, yeah. of yeah. that podcast is them interviewing Lindelof. So I can't mm, remember if this mm. is via Collider or via the audio interview. I think it's leans heavier towards the audio interview, but they were talking specifically about Lori's story. And so they do outline what you just told, which is, um, utterly divided the writer's room, 
in uh, terms of gotcha. just yeah. Yeah. feelings about the choice. And so he he tells the story of of observing Brenneman's performance and and having this impasse in terms of how to break season four. I mean, I'm sorry, the finale of three, and you know, writing term break just to 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 figure out the story of the script. You know, what what is the physical script that's going to be shot? And so in uh, uh, other little trivial bits inadvertently peppered here, but one is. Um, so at the end of the the premiere of season three, you've got that flash forward to the Nora and the future scene right. or what you might right. think is the future. You might think is an alternate reality. If you know Lindelof's work, that wouldn't be out of the question. Um, and so they knew the end of season three was Nora telling the story she tells at the end of season three. That was their guide. Right. right. And so so they knew at least that was the end. Well, they finished certified the scripting. They're trying to break the finale. And to hear him tell the story, he says, we couldn't. We we could not mm. complete the story of Leftovers. Like, they, they mutually, creatively couldn't put the end to paper with wow. it being left there. And to hear him tell, specifically because of the Lori uh, boat mm. res- resolution at the end of Certified. Right. And I mean, it's amazing. He says, finally, upon observing the footage and sort of rechanging the call, um, or pivoting, you know, the, the, the creative choice there, he actually said he went to each writer individually and the, the, the sense of relief from each of them wow. was so strong yeah. that he knew they were making the right choice in this. But anyway, wow. that's a really long winded yeah. way of addressing what I think is one of the emotional, just, comets of yeah yeah this whole series when you see her face again and know it's real yeah um no absolutely so yeah i didn't yeah. Mean to totally hijack your your trivial bit there no no but but Not honestly the only trivial bit i have is uh tell the Lori writer's room story <laughs> <laughs> no that's fine and that's the one i'm really glad i didn't you know i'm glad i didn't share it when we discussed certified because it's, you know, it's, it's an appropriate pivot into this because this is where it resolves. You know, this is the, this is the moment. And of course I love in the real, the, the scene, I love the scene. I love how Nora keeps telling things that Kevin did and, and Lori keeps going, huh? She's like, yeah. you stop that. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's great. It's just a really great bit of scripting. So, um, so we're treated to uh to again to just sort of summarize the the pieces of the story that we're going to be diving into. Um this episode f- so heavily features Nora. She's she's literally in every scene. So we begin with um the resolution of the sequence where, you know, this has been the whole trajectory that she's headed on this entire season of going to this place where they have been able to harness the force that they believe caused people to depart and can channel that to make other people depart as well. Theoretically, to go wherever they go. Um, So we see all of that play out. And then I'm I'm specifically brushing through because I'm going to mention four major events that happen. Um, And so that's the first major event. The second major event is that presumably 20 to 25 years in the future, which the first episode of this season teased, Nora is living in a remote location when sudden, and she's like harvesting early. In Australia. 
Yeah, she's in she's in Australia, though it doesn't, you know, immediately reveal that to us. Um, she's in Australia, and then she's uh, she's also uh, like a bird. I don't know if you call it a wrangler or a, a trainer or whatever. Like she she um, manages and grows lovebirds um, for a very specific purpose that comes later in. And then one day, and also elderly Kevin shows up on her front doorstep. He is acting as if they don't know each other as if the only time that they've ever spoken to each other was that very first time they saw each other at the dance. Um, and, uh, in Mapleton, there's, there's no, he conveys nothing beyond their time in Mapleton. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's the second major occurrence. And he invites her to a dance, uh, you know, in town, which uh, she calls Lori, and they have a wonderful exchange, which we can go into more if we want to. We've already been kind of referencing it. The third major event is that Nora does attend that dance in order to reconnect with him, and they have there are several things that happen at that dance. And then the fourth scene is where following that dance and following the fallout from their exchange during that dance, uh, Kevin shows back up on her doorstep where they have a final conversation for the series to wrap up the entire series. So those are the major mm-hmm. sort of beats of this episode. There's lots of smaller things that happen in between those segments to tie everything together, but those are the major sort of occurrences of this episode. Um, so just so now we all know where the players are, um, you want to spend a little bit of time with that that opening, that bit, you know, in the, in the I Matt guess, libs. what you would call, yeah, the present time with the Matt Libs. Um, I the, can't... Yeah. This whole episode is an I can't, but <laughs> what a scene. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And what I love in a way that I don't even know that I fully appreciated the first time through, what I love about this episode and so many pieces of this season and parts of this series is they just let their performers do their work. Because yeah. the creative work has been done, or I'm sorry, the craft work has been done. Now mm-hmm. the embodiment begins. And right, right. Chris Eccleston and Carrie Coon in this scene are just breathtaking. Yeah, they really um, are. Yeah. It's kind of the epitome of of loveliness. Um I, I've said this before about this show and and probably even on our conversations about it, like one thing that I am so impressed with, just so impressed with about this series, is as wild as it gets, the drama, the real emotional energy isn't drawn from the wildness. It's drawn from the character's experience of the wildness and of each right. other. Right. And that right, right, right. sounds like a no-brainer, but is impressively and remarkably hard to find. Sure. Like, you just yeah. don't get scenes like Matt and Nora's of Matt Libs yeah. in other work. It mm-hmm. is incredibly human, incredibly touching. Um, I'll let you talk a little bit about it. Cause all I did was write down all the dialogue. <laughs> 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 yeah. I mean, it's obviously, it's one of the loveliest scenes of the show. I love how self-aware Matt is. What a journey Matt has gone on. Uh, you, you know, following, you know, it's a Matt, 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 Matt world. Um, you know that he, you know, has come to a different headspace. You get the implication that he's going to go back and try to repair things with Mary, which is beautiful, is wonderful. I had actually forgotten his bit of dialogue, which implies that he's going to go back yeah. and reconcile with her, which definitely makes me feel very sure. differently about her exit before. 
Um, and I had also forgotten, which Kevin later, they, they did this sort of let's catch you up with all the characters in a really neat way because Nora and Kevin have not seen each other in all Since this time. Hotel, yeah. And so, so Nora, yeah, their last moment together was that brutal dissolving of their relationship in the hotel. So she asks him about characters we care about. We've had our resolution with Lori. We've seen Lori. And then we also find out about John and Evie and Michael and Jill not and Evie, Tommy. Yeah. Uh, or sorry, not Evie. Um, what's Erica? Yeah, Erica yeah, is who yeah. I was thinking of. Yes. Uh, Evie is, is sure. dead and gone. But Erica, the mom, is who I was picturing when I said that name. Um, and so uh, and we also think about uh, we find out about, you know, his dad and we find out uh, most especially about Matt. And we find out that when Matt finally died. Um, and I'm coming back to the Matt Lib scene sure. in a second, but we find out that when Matt finally died, over 400 people came to the funeral. Like, wh- like, what a lovely little legacy that is, and that Mary gave the eulogy. Like, mm. that's just that's just such a lovely thing, and uh, and so we see the seeds of him sort of entering into that final stage of his life when he's talking with Nora, and he says, "I'm scared." And yeah. at first, she thinks he's talking about her. Mm-hmm. And he says, no, I'm, you know, I'm scared to go back and what I'm going to say to Mary. I'm scared of the chemicals they're going to put in my body. I'm scared they're not going to work. And I didn't write down all the dialogue. I'm so scared of dying. I'm missing. Yeah, I'm scared, I'm scared that of my dying, son Laura. will grow up without me. We'll forget my yeah. voice. We'll forget the sound. I'm sorry. We'll forget my face. We'll forget the sound mm. of my voice. Most of all scared I'll survive. Yeah, it's 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 oh, man. And then. um she says, and I, the, you referenced it in your yeah. introduction to this episode, might be my favorite. I mean, there's another line that gives it a real run for its money, but this might be my favorite line of this of this episode. If it's not my favorite, it's my second favorite. She says, then, do you want to come with me? Essentially, do you want to depart right. with me? And with, like, tears oh, brimming in the bottom amazing. of his eyes, he says, I think that defeats the purpose. Mm. Oh, my God. I think, like. Dear sister, dear sister, that yes. defeats the purpose. And the way Eccleston delivers that is just oh. Shakespearean. It is yeah, elevated and it is beautiful and it is heartfelt and it is wonderfully yeah. transcendent. It is in other it, 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 using different words. It is all of the richness and power of what we continue to refrain of the let's be in it then. Yeah. Okay. So, so this is what we're in. So let's be in it then. It's that, and and for listeners who have not, you know, been able to cohesively thread it, you know, we had some silly fun on Terminator. We've dealt, you know, gone into Apocalypto. We had all of these, you know, paradigm shifting narratives in the central parts pieces of this. But our conversation about a ghost story, which launched this entire thing, and a conversation about presentness and being present, and 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 you could wrap it all up in let's be in it then. Well, do you want to escape? That defeats the purpose. This is what we. This is what we're in. This is where we are. I well, live I, here now. It's yeah, all, and I it think, all see, I actually, together. my read on that is uh, Sarah Groves has remarkably come up already this series, but uh, this journey is my own. Like this is Matt yes. saying, you know, one to come with you would be to abandon my own troubles yeah. that I need to face. Yeah. But also to go with you would not be to honor your path, which is this, you know? Yeah, um, Absolutely. 
It, it even has echoes back to, I mean, it has echoes through so much, but it even has echoes back to John's beautiful confession to Lori where he says, if I've got to, if I give up his story, I've right. got to give up mine right. too. You know, it's, it's this, there's, there's a unilateral, ex, uh, well, it's, it's not completely across the board, but so many of these characters have to come to a place to where they simply accept, simple acceptance. This is, this is what I'm living. This is what right. I'm in. This is where I'm going. This is where I'm headed. And that profound sense of embracing, you know, you talk about the difference between an empirical truth and, and, the, and a better story. I think there's something to be said for just, you know, embracing the truth of the story that you are living. There's a phrase, and I can't remember what context I heard it in, and I started adopting it in, you know, strategies of navigating work and even strategies of navigating life. And it said, um, if the map doesn't match the ground, the map is wrong. Hmm. And wow. it was this, it was this That's real. Great. Yeah. It was just this real sort of acknowledgement of like, yeah, you can, you can write down your path. We make the road we, by walking. Yeah. But we make the road by walking it. And, and I feel like that is, uh, that is very much the, the mystery that we that we navigate through, whether we're discussing faith or life or, or wholeness or anything. That's very much the mystery that we navigate. And I love so many of these characters coming to that point. I just it's a powerful line. I think I think, dear sister, that defeats the purpose for mm. me to abandon and depart this defeats the purpose. And it's just yeah, it's it's beautiful and powerful in so many different ways. And I love it. Tremendously. Well it. and it's and it's this weird I, I'm a, I'm just going to touch the sun real quick and then back away. But I think there's some powerful truth in Matt, Matt worlds in the conversation between Matt and God where, and th there's a thin line here, but it's the line we walk because we make it by walking. And that's you do these things for you and acceptance of the doing is honoring your life, if that makes any sense whatsoever. In other words, hmm. Nora is owning that she is doing this for her. This is this is a thing. This is not for anybody else. And right. and and so from that standpoint, there is more. However misguided someone may accuse her of being in that moment, there's more truth to the choice. Hmm. You're you are you are honoring this path that you're set on. It's 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 John, my story, his story conversation. It's it's stop, Matt. Stop doing all these things and calling it any other reason than this is what you're choosing to do. And I think there's some right. really, right, right, in right. ways I don't know how to mine at the moment, there's some really powerful takeaways in there. I do want to throw uh, throw us to the shallows real quick. Did you catch the random, mm -hmm. in, in terms of trivial bits, did you catch the extremely random uh, Fear of God crossover moment here with Better Watch Out, the Chris Peck uh, over Christmas movie? You didn't I, I mean, notice, I know what you're referring to. You but didn't I don't notice know that, that I, when Nora yeah. walks into the bathroom of her place that the that the door handle is literally at eye level. Do you remember this in Better Watch Out? How it came up? Oh my god! That they that's shot right. in Australia and didn't change the set in Better Watch that's Out to hysterical. reflect an American design choice. Yeah. Yes. Isn't that funny? Oh my gosh! That's when hysterical. she pulled that door no, closed. I, I was I, like, I "Oh, that's crazy!" Better watch out. <laughs> She's in Australia. Awesome. I know that. <laughs> that's awesome. No, I didn't remember that. That's really cool. Oh, that's really um, cool. Yeah, another random trivial bit as we're walking to the the future storyline with Kevin and Nora. Uh, a little lost reference here. Uh, I think Kevin has a granddaughter named Penelope. 
aka mm. Penny, aka not Penny's boat. Yes, um, I think that's right. Yeah. Which also means that Lost takes place in an alternate future where Kevin Garvey's granddaughter is Penny Widmore. Um, oh. Yeah, but that doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> so, so. <laughs> just, just listeners can't see i just rested my head in my hands because it's just too much um <laughs> let's talk about the wedding um if that's okay uh, absolutely it's a wonderful little it's 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 such a wonderful little uh just story moment you know like just the 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 culmination of these quirky little australian lovebirds uh <laughs> literally and figuratively um, having this little wedding and, and they're so charming together. And then of course the complete gravity of everything that happens at that wedding ceremony between Nora and Kevin. But, uh, it's just the whole sequence is just so wonderful and lovely and just makes me want to live in that town and makes me want to, you know, be among those people. It's just, uh, it did. It's just wonderful. It reminded, yeah. it had echoes of Apocalypto's communal experience and just, yeah, yeah. the the value of, fellowship and and uh there are there are two so i was pretty fragile this entire episode um but there were two major elements major components uh that just kind of left me a puddle one is the matt nora scene and uh kevin and nora have this beautiful just i mean all the dialogue in this episode is so rich and yeah, yeah, full and and right. bursting. And one as just a random note. I love, I love. You know, Kevin's been playing this card of ignorance to Nora's protesting that there's more to their story than he's telling, than he's speaking aloud. And the lovebirds of the wedding couple bring a goat in and have this mm. really powerful uh, uh, ceremony of of laying beads representing the sin of the community upon the goat is this sort of scapegoat imagery. And anyway, right. Right. There's a really lovely moment when Kevin winkingly says, at least they didn't sacrifice it. Mm-hmm. And Nora catches it immediately. And she says, have you ever seen someone sacrifice a goat? And he just says, no, that'd be weird. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Um, oh. I want to, I want to, uh, uh, on, <laughs> uh, kind of, uh, dislodge my heart for a moment and and place it out on the table. And and one of the things, so leftovers the series came at a really uh, seismic moment in my adult life. And and what where I, why I even go this path is 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 just to signal and ultimately simply to say. I respond so positively and powerfully to the humanness of the story that's being told. And, and it'll dovetail nicely into the end of the series, the the literal end, but details aren't, aren't for the public, but a a moment of time in life where uh, trauma struck my home. And I, when, when I first started watching leftovers, it was because of Lindelof and that was the hook. I knew nothing about the book, uh, only vaguely knew the series architecture. Uh, but I responded very strongly and cathartically to the Kevin of season one yelling for, for to be heard. Um, and so that really 
resonated deeply. And and the season three culminating in this episode, uh, what struck me and where I'm going with this is is the dance that they share. And um, this trauma that struck our home uh, had its effect for a season of time. And what what is so amazing and truly, I hate to keep using this word, but transcendent about this show, this season, this episode, this scene, is the ability to dial in so acutely and keenly on the experience of human emotion and yeah. and how a scene that is just a dance can be so can is wordless yeah mm-hmm. and and says the world and and what was so powerful and why I tie at least vaguely my own story into this because if this story is true mine is still as well is that the power of this show is 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 restitution Mm-hmm. is that loss is real and can be pointed to and can be named and can be even wrestled against an apocalypse can be resisted damned as we may try, but won't be in ignored and will right. Right. Will cause a departure in our midst. Um, and what is so powerful to me about the scene of Car- uh, Carrie of, of Kevin and Nora dancing is the weight you feel of the lost time. Yeah. Right. And yet right, right, right. the intense love. And it's so, what's so powerful about that scene is you just, it's like Jacob says in lost, everyone just needs a little push. You just want to, you're right there guys. You're right there. And, and yet Nora's last run, right. Is right there. Like mm. her final right. fleeing is that moment. But I responded so powerfully to that scene of just, uh, we can, this won't be my primary theme, but so I'll just toss it in here. What's so powerful to me about this show is that, um, it illustrates the notion that, um, life will break you. Mm. And in, it was illustrated in the hotel room and, and is illustrated in my personal experience. And it is illustrated by anyone listening's personal experience of trauma in relationship or just in their own selves or, or, or with the church or fill in the blank. Life will break you. But uh, as evidenced by Kevin's coming every year for two weeks to search for Nora, love won't leave you broken. Mm. And there's just something infinitely powerful about that. Um, yeah. Right. And, and anyway, that, that's, that's sort of my reflection on the wedding scene, which again is still ignoring the scapegoat, the, the sins of the community, all these ideas that are so just supercharged. And what's so beautiful about this friggin' episode read is not much happens. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's no, a serious could, finale. Yeah. And you're like, where? Where's the action? You know, I'm not saying I pined for that, but you know what I'm saying? Like, sure. No, I get it. It is a story about human engagement of the deepest kind. And yeah. And that's going to be a bit bereft of quote unquote action or excitement, but be supercharged with energy and life, you know? Yeah. There is a, um, and I'll even, because I'm not going to give details about it. I'll even reference the, um, 
the book itself specifically, uh, one of my favorites of his books and one of the least sort of horrific uh, for the reader that thinks he's too scary, uh, Stephen King's book, Joyland. Mm. Um, it ends, the without giving specifics of the ending, the last like maybe five to ten pages kind of runs through a series of here's what happened and let me just tell you what happened. And then it gets to a place where he's kind of tying bows on all the different characters and fast forwarding through forward motion on life. And then at the end, he's like, and that brings me to the and he, he's kind of contemplating life and death and loss and beauty and all that stuff. And then he says, and that brings me to this character. And it's this beautiful and lovely little and that brings me to here. And I feel like this season was on a trajectory where it's like, oh, my God, now we're in Australia. All these things are happening. These crazy like, mm-hmm. you know, Kevin's regressing. Mm-hmm. We've got the end of the world bearing down on us and what. And then, you know, it gets to these moments at the end of, you know, the most powerful man in the world and his identical twin brother of Kevin and, um, you know, Kevin Sr. sitting atop the roof after mm-hmm. the apocalypse has not happened. And then it feels like there's all these different threads. And it feels like this entire episode is very much the way that, you know, Stephen King wrapped up Joyland. It's like, and that brings us to Nora. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like, you know, this this whole episode is just like, okay, so and here's Nora and here's everything that she went through. And I will say, you know, like the concept of the scapegoat from the book of Leviticus, I believe specifically Leviticus chapter 16, um, talking about, uh, you know, a goat being, you know, placed upon the sins of the, the entire people and then them being sent out so that the people could start fresh and this being expressed in a wed in, in the wedding in a way that despite, I mean, when people talk about like Old Testament biblical, you don't get more Old Testament biblical than freaking Leviticus. <laughs> and the fact that they could bring in this Levitical, you know, situation and have it be introduced so gently mm-hmm. and tenderly mm-hmm. and lovely. And then they pivot it because in the episode, something I didn't mention earlier in my recap is this at this wedding, you know, they place these, you know, luau beads, these little string of beads, you know, f- fake plastic pearls. They place these. I think strings you're thinking of, of Mardi Gras beads, right? Oh, Mardi Gras yeah, beads. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Not luau, not luau lace, but Mardi Gras beads. And uh, they place these on this goat and send him out, you know, scapegoat style into the wilderness. Well, then when Nora is bicycling home, and she, you know, has a couple of sort of stops along the way, but eventually she comes to a hill. And she hears the bleeding of this goat. Um, the goat is crying from up on the hill because it has been trapped in a fence. And when Nora sort of, uh, you know, uh, trepidatiously scales the, the hill and she gets up there, she tries to free the goat. The beads are trapped in the fence and in freeing it. And of course, Mac R- Max Richter's score is mm-hmm. swelling again and, and it's bringing us back full circle on things. She places the beads upon herself. And that is so indicative of what Nora is struggling with. The, the this whole time through this, you know, is it a matter of geography or am I a lens? You know, it's this whole thing, you know, and and, and I think half of why she wanted to, at least half of why she wanted to go and be with her children is is some burden of responsibility that she feels for having done this, and because the final moment before they all departed, she was you know struggling to dry off her phone, and all these things come full circle with who Nora is and where she has come to, and it is such a powerful moment her taking the beads representing the sins of the community and placing them upon her own shoulders well to, there's to, a there's know. an added uh uh imagery at work there which is she has stopped when the beads on the road 
tangle in her bike. So she, oh, she that's is right. felled by the sins of the community. And yes. then yes. in unburdening the scapegoat chooses to burden herself with them. And yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's just, there's too much to really kind of fully unpack. Um, but it's such an incredible image of the, you know, the character on the run finally turning like Jaguar paw and saying, come on, I'm here now. This is it. And, and in a, you know, like a huge sort of last leg of the journey that she has to take, um, I'll bring up a theme that actually didn't come up in, in a previous in the morning conversation, but rather was echoing back to our conversation on the film Chronicle. And, uh, this concept of inclusion and forgiveness and that mm. inclusion and include forgiveness and forgive, yeah. include and forgive um, also has to apply to yourself right? and in, in include and forgive yourself. And you can't, you know, you can't, you can't carry the, the burden and the weight of the sins of the whole community on your own shoulder. You know, like I think back, gosh, this is like a, a, <laughs> this is like a, a fireworks display of all these, you know, conclusions of different pop culture pieces that I'm just rampantly spoiling. So sorry, listeners, but like towards the end of the film, No Country for Old Men, when Tommy Lee Jones's character is reflecting on how far he's going to pursue this chain of events and his dear friend in the wheelchair looks up at him and says, you can't stop what's coming. It's not all just waiting on you. He says, that's vanity. And I think about the ways in which the 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 vanity that we carry when we feel like we carry the burden or the blame or it is up to us to somehow recompense the sins of entire events and occurrences and and in many ways Nora's journey is all about to well I shouldn't say all about is largely about the way that she has taken and we did talk about this before she has taken a cataclysmic occurrence that took place to 2% of the whole entire world's population. And she has very much made it all about her. And that is not, yeah, I'm not saying that to, in, to indict her for selfishness or vanity. I am simply saying she has personalized it in a way that we all have at risk of doing any major cataclysmic event as if it is, it, it is circling all around us because it is simultaneously communal and national and global but it is also deeply deeply personal this series began as a as a platform through which we could kind of contextualize and maybe discuss and 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 navigate our way through like the global pandemic but also so many things have come up along the way that we've talked about as they've occurred as we've gone through this through this series but uh, but it does in many ways come back to that to where we say, like, we take these cataclysmic events and we personalize them in ways that are not healthy. And in many ways, what we do when we make it so supremely revolving around us is we we take the beads off the goat and we put it on our own shoulders as if somehow it's it's our responsibility or duty to rectify the entirety of the situation um, when What's in it- point of fact. Oh, the, the final but final statement when in point of fact what might be more being asked of us and that Nora has to get to is the same thing that like Matt reached and it sounds like Lori reached and everybody else which is just you know and and that Kevin at at certain points got to which is just the the I live here now right that defeats yep. the purpose yeah. it's the it's the let's be in it then like you know so this is the path we're on I'm not going to 
I'm not going to pretend I'm somebody I'm not. I'm not going to pretend I I have power that I don't have. And I'm going to simply be in it then uh, because to do otherwise would defeat the purpose. And that's the journey Nora has to get to. And I do feel like this final episode does a great job of showing the the complexity of of struggling against that and fighting against that in so many other different ways. Anyway, I'm sorry. I just wanted to, you know, no, I, wrap the loop on all that I was going to say is I think and maybe you were saying this. I actually think there's great health from Nora in the moment where she shoulders the beads. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. because her whole journey um has been Again, like you, we can only call Nora selfish if we're willing to do the same for ourselves. But um, <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. Her whole journey has been: look at my pain caused by these things. Look at me. Yes. I identify my pain. Look at me. This is me. This is my pain. Nora, while you're here, do you also want to change your name? No, I'll keep Durst. Yeah, yeah. Right, Nora. Like, this cursed. is right. Right. This is. Yeah. It's. It's. Do you want to be well? And to me. Her, because the show is very deliberate about illustrating to you not that she is removing the beads from the goat, but that she is removing the beads from the goat and putting them on herself. Like it's not about, it's not about unburdening the goat. It's about now sharing in the pain and, and, and the weight and the, and the burden of the community itself. Mm. And suddenly her isolated self-centered pain, which we all deal with becomes the shared burden of the community and the world, right? Like yeah, I will, right. I will adorn myself with this. And then do you notice the literal next scene is her just taking them off and setting them down? Yeah. 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 She you sets them, them on that. Uh, yeah. It's a little, yeah, exactly. a little thing. Um, which um, I feel like I read somewhere that that is a, is an intentional, you know, echo and call out to like the, to to her contextualizing of her her children's departure, well, her whole family's departure, her husband as well. But um, I didn't write it down and can't fully you know absorb the moment. But I feel like that I, I do agree that it's it's just a wonderful and a a, a powerful and. I mean, just too big for even this conversation, this very specific conversation, to wrap all of the complexity of of character and and arc resolution and everything um and then of course um you know that leads us right to after she gets back home that leads us right to uh you know that that wonderful scene between she and kevin every i I will say this because i i wrote this down and have neglected to mention it yet um Regina King as Erica deserves every inch of praise we could heap upon her Carrie Coon as Nora does some outstanding work in this I feel like Justin Thoreau just kills it. He's just an outstanding performer. And I feel like this character would have been so easy to get wrong, like to pivot in one direction or another. But he so deftly balances the sort of machismo alpha male kind of concept with a tremendous broken sensitivity. And the look on his face when he sees Nora arrive at the dance is mm-hmm. just yeah, it, that great. just that just melts me. Um, and, and then when he finally abandons the facade, cause she wasn't playing along, she never caught the wave of, Hey, let's start over, yeah. which is what he was trying to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. He was trying to just say, let's start over. Let's pretend the hotel didn't happen. Let's pretend all the pain just went away and let's start over. She never caught that same wave. 
And so then finally he's just frustrated. So he shows back up at her door and he's just like, all right, fine, screw it then. I'll just, I'll just lay it all out on the table. And after that, she's so laissez-faire is just like, would you like some tea? <laughs> like, would you like a cup of tea? And then the, a show this bombastic that has been leading up to this entire season has been leading up to a potential end of the world ends with two people sitting in a remote house over a cup of tea talking to each other for like 20 minutes. Right. And, um, and it's beautiful and it's lovely. And of course we get a very, um, we get a version of explanation and that if you believe Nora, we have a, we have a definitive answer for what happened when the people departed. Did you know, and this is a trivial bit I mentioned earlier. Did you know that Lindelof conceived that explanation while filming the pilot? Yes. And yeah, you've listened to all these. You probably know more about this than it said. We don't have time. (laughs) Exactly. Peter Berg said, we just can't, we just can't film the shot because he was going to film a reverse shot of the opening 10 minutes of the film where the baby remains. And then you have a, instead of a son calling for his father, you have a father calling for his son. Mm -hmm. And it's just the reverse shot of all the same people. But Peter Berg did not get an opportunity to film that that moment so instead they give us nora telling the story and we choose whether or not to believe it and whether or not she's telling the truth um and uh and i well, do love the ambiguity yeah all i was no, gonna say okay. is uh, you 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 sometimes will do this but she she kind of wizard of oz styles pulls a curtain back again as reed alluded to with some question as to the veracity here but basically says i did go over and mm-hmm. i uh, I love in one of the readings I had today, they referenced the Odyssean journey, like Odysseus, oh, um, yeah. that she goes over and has this journey from Australia back to New York. And there's no planes because there's no pilot. There aren't enough pilots in this 2% right. world. And so she has to go by boat, which takes forever. And she finds finally, finally, finally finds her family and they're happy. And she mm. says, in a world of orphans, they still had each other. And I was a ghost. And, and she, uh, another wonderful bit of dialogue from that monologue is over here. We lost some of them over there. They lost all of us, all of us. Um, and then Mm -hmm. she determines that her place is no longer with this now happy family 10 years or however long past it's been since the initial departure. Uh, she relays how the physicists had told her of another scientist who, who, uh, innovated all of this technology and she goes and tracks him down and basically ports her back over and she's been in hiding ever since. So, yeah, I mean, the show does an amazing bit when she's in her, which we didn't speak of this, but, um, I love the sort of sci-fi, uh, uh, imagery of the bubble device you know the this this very you know space odyssey cold yeah you know heart of darkness kind of experience she has yeah inspired by uh david cronenberg's the fly really yes okay yeah Yeah. that makes a hell of a lot of sense um Mm -hmm. and what we haven't even touched on is when this orb fills up with the water that's not water uh the last shot is what appears to be her throwing her head back to scream Mm -hmm. and then it cuts and then that's all, you know, and so they've planted the seed for ambiguity inherently there. And you may have seen this Linda Lindelof actually said like the, the in breaking 
the finale, the initial idea, and again, who knows how long these things are in play until they're struck down is, is unknown to, on our end of things. But uh, according to Lindelof, at least it seems like he actually was anticipating filming some version of her story and Parada saying, absolutely yes. not. We, right. we, we promised right. this is not going to be, it's one thing to have her tell it, which feeds the idea of storytelling and human interaction and, and belief and faith and embellishment right. and all right. this stuff. He said, you know, that's one thing, but we cannot show it. And it's Parada who put his foot down. Like you, you said, we're never going to know the certainty of this and, and we can't break that mm-hmm. promise. This is really powerful. Um, yeah, no, it's wonderful. I can't remember. I feel like you and I initially were, and I'm, I could be totally misremembering here, but I feel like I thought of the, the, the potential lack of truthfulness on her part there and you saying, no, I think it's true. Is this ringing a bell at all? Is that right? It is. I've always believed her. So, so well, I've always, and uh, I think it's easy to believe her. The question is, <laughs> is it true? Is it true? Um, yeah, I mean, I I think from my first viewing of the film, I or film uh, first viewing of this show, and I can't remember the proximal discussions you and I would have had at that time, but I believe I've always thought that what she was describing was was an actual truthful occurrence. Because even early, and and they kind of like they kind of point you this direction in the very very beginning when she's reading the paper and 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 you know the show begins and ends this episode begins and ends with Nora saying a thing telling a person a thing and in the very beginning she's saying i you know i indemnify everybody from what i'm about to do and i'm i'm you know allowing myself to go be departed uh forget the exact language yeah, yeah, she yeah. uses and then the scientists debate about it and they're like i don't believe you right you know and she says very deliberately she says i don't lie and I was thinking about that, and I was like, I, I don't think she has ever told a lie in the entirety of this show. I could be wrong about that, but I feel like she always sort of like diverts the truth or whatever. She hides the truth or whatever, but I don't remember her ever telling an outright like lie. She, she, she sort of skirts around the truth or whatever else. But that may not be accurate. Maybe, you know, listeners who have been following have been like, oh, yeah, she lied in this episode, this episode, this episode. She lied here. She lied there. She lied this. Um, but uh, but I remember, like, the in this opening, I remember picking up on because I remembered the complexity of she tells a story and whether or not Kevin's going to believe her at the ending as well. So in the very beginning when they said, I don't believe you, and then she's like, I don't lie. And he's, well, you see, know, they say you're lying. I, what I don't want to do right now is is I may have inadvertently set up an at odds thing, and that's not my interest whatsoever. I just remember thinking, oh, that's an interesting thing I hadn't occurred in the watching of it that she might not be truthful and remembering oh, you and I have sure. a dialogue. But I do want a dialogue about her truthfulness or not because I I find more evidence in context to question the veracity of her story than mm. to buy it. Now. The good news is it doesn't matter, uh, which is a little oh, bit right. the point right, right, right. of it at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you just sort of you, you inadvertently buoyed me up a little bit more there because um, what I was going to say is Nora's monologue in a in a um, in a writing convention standpoint 
is the same as Kevin's. Uh, I'm here on vacation. I remember you from Mapleton. Mm-hmm. You got to get the falsehood out of the way before the truth can stand on its own. And right. so, mm-hmm. and, and, and so kind of, kind of from a puzzle piece standpoint, that kind of works that rhythm, like three times, I think Kevin tells the falsehood of, I'm just here on vacation. I happened to hear you. I saw you riding your bike and here you are. Right, Until right. finally he says, here's really why and how I'm here. And opens it up. Right. And, mm-hmm. and so it kind of works that now it's her turn to sort of get her final. It's, it's laying the armor down in a way. Mm. Now, what mm. you just did that inadvertently sort of feels like it supports the idea at least that there's some falsehood here is you said Nora never tells the truth. I'm sorry, Nora never lies in the context of the show. Nora mm. is effed up for the entirety of the show and if Nora is a strong as I believe her to be, strongly written, well-developed character, a character has to change. And so mm. Mm. There's a world in which the arc of this character is I need to be able to embellish this because I need to figure out my place in the world. In order to do that, I've got to put aside the story of my children because because it's no Mm. it's 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 John. His story is my story. If his if the story of my children has a resolution, I can now have a beginning. Mm. Yeah, 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 because. And, and to me, it's just fun sort of talking about the truthfulness or not there. Now, interestingly, from a technical standpoint, I saw this today. Mimi Leader, who directed many of the episodes in this one in particular, said, I don't think she's telling the truth, which is interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it but it again, it 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 bolsters the conversation. This especially third season is having between faith, mm. truth and trust. And yeah, do you want to talk more about? the monologue here or do you want to pivot no towards- no no i'm 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 good with the show intentionally ignites a debate that will never be resolved right and and i and i don't mean that to say like hey it's not worth having but sure i mean i i think the value of that is in determining for yourself whether you believe she's telling the truth or not and then moving right on because ultimately that's not the Right. That's not what matters well, what's about really that What's really amazing is in this Living Reminders interview, we're giving them all kinds of plugs. I should go find them and tell them we're talking about them. Um, it's a married mm-hmm. couple that that hosts the, inter- the oh, podcast. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and they have Lindelof on, and the monologue comes up, and the truthfulness of Nora becomes a talking point. And Lindelof says, okay, guys, before you read anything, he says, did you watch this by yourself? Yes. Just the two of them watched it together. He says, do you think Nora's telling the truth? They both answer against each other. Oh, that's. And wow. then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so it becomes this interesting talking point. And then he says, because then Kevin comes up and he says, do you think Kevin believes her? And they have differing opinions on whether Kevin <laughs> believes her. And it's just a really amazing moment about the power wow. of amazing art. Right. Which is like, yes, this is they course. they have. Yeah intentionally crafted this eye of the beholder resolution. Yeah, of course that. Yeah, of course is, is eminently and utterly ambiguous. And yet at the same time, fantastically beautiful. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because I do think the show supports both sides. Uh, because yeah, of I, course it does. I yeah. didn't pick up the first time I watched it on the return of the lovebirds at the end. Oh yes. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. cause yeah. she's questioning where they've gone. She tells a story about my home is here now. I don't belong elsewhere anymore. And then the birds return. Right. right. Um, mm-hmm. 
I, I have some, some thoughts to unpack that sort of relate to this monologue, uh, but tie through the series. Are there any real specifics you want to? Nope. I've, I've said them. So let's be in it then. You know, we brought this up a couple weeks ago that Nora gets the last word of each season. And I want to just like, uh, analyze is way too cold a word, but I want to use those to sort of mm-hmm. talk about the broader themes because they, they are an arrow pointing to a truth and possibly the truth embedded in a beautiful story. Um, something that is pretty amazing to me is that a show instigated by unfathomable absence is ultimately intentionally, purposefully, thoughtfully about presence. Mm -hmm. And that a show called Leftovers is about what remains Mm -hmm. and what endures in the us that we are, in the space occupied by the bodies we inhabit and the spirits that animate us and the mark we make on those we love most. And I want to use Nora's words to just kind of open up the conversation here because yeah, presence, I, I'd, it's really powerful to me how the arc of in the morning has with great lack of intentionality supported its own weight. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think about, do you remember? I'm pretty sure it was in the morning. I referenced listening to Jennifer Knapp and the feelings because I was yeah, feeling really, right. I was feeling really ground up and I wanted mm-hmm. something to bolster me. And, and I made this comment that felt like a better story that whatever good that had was a little minimal because it was more nostalgia and God is not nostalgia. God is presence right. and immediacy and right. urgency and eminence. And I think what's fascinating about the arc of this series the season season one ends with with Nora saying, "Look what I found," uh, which is also a great a "Star Is Born" song. Yeah. <laughs> <the soundtrack. laughs> um, but it's external validation. Mm-hmm. Season two ends with Kevin's return home to find his family waiting for him, and Nora says, "You're home," which right. is codependent validation you you've achieved Mm. your goal you are present and now i can be amongst you or something like that right like it's it's Mm. external circumstance and look what i found it's codependence and relationship and i'll be doggone if and i guarantee you this this is where you know um i think it's king talks a lot about plot versus theme it's like these things present themselves as you tell a great story and so I know yeah. they crafted seasons at a time and I'm sure there was a cutesy aspect to, Hey, what if Nora ended every, had a line that ended every scene, but that turns into this kind of magnificent reveal of how do you live in the wake of trauma? You can't do it mm. with external, external circumstance. You can't do it in codependent relationship. You can only do it by being present in it, which is her final line and the final line of the series, which is I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And dude, it is just, it bowls me over, um, mm-hmm. to ponder what this show achieves. And I even commented in the middle of season three, a bit half-heartedly like, oh, well maybe, you know, maybe, maybe I, 
over over remember <laughs> season three. Not the series, mm. but season three. Right, 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 right. And by the end of it, last night, I'm boo-hooing, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm here. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's it. That is the only way forward. Yeah. I don't know. I don't have much more to say other than just how much it arrested me. That very clear arc of externality as affirmation of codependence as affirmation, neither of them working. This woman is running for her life from all yeah, of the faults, right, right. the faults truths around her to ultimately land at the only thing that will get our next foot in front of the previous one is to say, I'm right here. This is the only place there is in terms of yeah. impact and, and, and meaning. I don't know. I'm just talking. Well, well, and also, so th- this is about Nora and there's no pulling that punch, but also I think the lead up to her revelation, cause it's absolutely true. Uh, look what I found your home. I'm here. But what leads up to the I'm here line is Kevin, where she says, you know, I, I wanted to tell you, but I didn't think you'd believe me. And then Kevin just doesn't miss a beat. He says, I believe you. Yeah. And she says, you do? And he says, of course I believe you. You're here. Right. And there is a lot wrapped up in that that I think sort of props up so much of, of what she's and this this is going to be grandiose language, but I think the getting to I'm here involves a tremendous amount of things that we have touched on in both scant ways and brush off ways. And, and, and uh, you know, maybe I'm still going to do a similar thing right now. But to, to get to I'm here, you have to do so much of like you have to, uh, you know, you have to stop with you have to drop the coping mechanisms. You right. have to, you know, you have to leave behind or at least set in their proper place the sins of the community. You have to, you know, uh, all, all of those things. And then you also have to I'm going to use this language because this is the language that I'm trying to sort of thread the thought for. But I feel like there could probably be a better and stronger way to express this. Um, you know, th- there is a concept that we talk about where. In, in faith, they talk about like, you know, uh, we, we can love because we are first loved. Right. You know, yeah. and, and, that, and that because, you know, yeah, I think I'm going to go here. So, um, Tyler Smith, benefactor of the fear of God and uh, host of More Than One Lesson, shared a little mini episode on More Than One Lesson not that long ago. I want to say it was just several months ago. He talked about uh, the importance of Boba Fett. <laughs> and specifically what he was talking about is Boba Fett, the little toy. You know, you being the much bigger Star Wars fan than I am, uh-huh. uh, probably know there was a like a modification of Boba Fett that had like a firing rocket or whatever. It's very rare. It's a very rare toy or whatever. And... um Tyler was talking about he's like this little toy this little plastic that you know like that's all it is is it's just you know plastic and and configurations of articulation and all of that sort of stuff but to collectors it is worth you know I I don't know maybe hundreds possibly thousands of dollars and he's like you know the plastic is still just that it's still plastic but there is this there is this value 
that is placed upon it by someone else and that value that's placed upon it by by someone else that's what that's what makes it valuable it, it it's 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 worth what somebody is willing to give for it right. it's worth what somebody is willing to you know the the word is pay for it but it's it's worth what someone is willing to endow it with right that's that's what it's worth and so bringing that into the broader concept i think you have to be willing to embrace the i am first loved idea i am and and in in language that i feel might be clunky and probably not quite representative of what i i am trying to say you know that that yes you are you are you are worthy of love because somebody loves you sure like you you are you are worthy of being believed in because somebody believes in you right you know you you are you are worthy of of it is not an intrinsic value it is not a value that you have achieved in and of your own standing it's kevin expressing a devotion to her of say of course i believe you you're here like there is so much wrapped up in that and then when she receives it and therefore echoes back to him i'm here right it is that it is that embracing of it's okay for me it's okay for me to receive this this sure. love it's yeah, okay yeah. for me to not for me to not push him out the door it's okay for me to not you know it's 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 okay for me it, it it's getting back in my mind back to that that henry nowen quote of how like we restrict ourselves so much of experiencing the despair and the the exaltation of life because we are um, you know, too afraid to cry and too shy to dance. You know, we won't we won't receive it. We won't allow ourselves to feel it. We won't allow ourselves to embrace it or accept it. And I think a lot of that is tied up to the transactions believe that we believe we have to to get through in order to uh, receive that love. Oh, I have to do this, or or maybe once I achieve this, then I'll be worthy of this, or I'll be worthy of, of belief, I'll be worthy of love, I'll be worthy of acceptance, uh, maybe when I achieve all of these things. When in point of fact, getting to that place like Matt saw when David Burton like shattered all of his illusions of like, you, you're doing all that for you. <laughs> right, <laughs> like, like, right. You're just doing all that for yourself. Um, and, and instead reaching this place where we could hear the simple, direct expression of affection that says, of course, I believe you, you're here. Right. And being willing to let that be, right. <laughs> being willing to, being willing to not fight that and just smiling and crying in the same moment and saying, you know, kind of with a nod in your spirit, yes, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. This is this is the place. This is this but is what it is. Don't you think? And um, I'm actually not trying to make a faith works argument here, but I I think you're absolutely correct. I also think agency is at least for Nora involved as well, because to me, to me, her monologue is her last burden to lay down. Mm. Like like mm. to be able to receive the faith kevin is offering her in that moment had required her to lay down this final thing which is yeah. true or not in terms of an empirical experience the the burden and the attachment and the inability to let go of what she had experienced which not just what she had experienced but what that experience had caused in her which is at a certain point selfishness to 
it, it's in letting go of those things that she can now receive the grace Kevin is offering. Um, right. And also now be a new agent in its flowering. Uh, right. To me, it's, it's Jaguar paw and his wife saying, should we go down there? No, we're going to go make something new. Here's this last thing, you know? Right. Um, and one recently, an event of the series was referenced as, or maybe it was just Matt. Yeah. That, that, that ta-da is kind of the end of Matt's story. Um, right, right. Which is quite true because because then he becomes more of a player in Nora's. Uh, but but I just think what's so powerful about this show is the honor they give to the arc of these characters. Uh, you know, I'd be curious to we don't have to do this here. You know, though we, we may never get another leftovers conversation of where do you think Kevin's story ends? Because because Kevin in in Nora the book of Nora. He longs for Nora, but he's a whole person. His his yeah. oh, his journey yeah. has completed itself. Um, but I don't know that I would be able to pinpoint with as much readiness as I could Matt or Nora his resolution. I mean, I know structurally, uh, uh, most powerful man is his final entry. Yeah, and I would say very specifically when he makes the decision to end the sideways world right. that he inhabits when he makes the decision to to cut the nuclear key out of himself right, right. and never come back to this place that's that's his sort of final beat that's his paradigm shift of saying no this is he he admits we messed up with Nora like this this is it and let's let's just uh, never come back to this place right. and i think that's where his sort of arc of a character ends and there is this little denouement that he is still holding a candle for Nora and will for the rest of his life. He has found her and continues to travel to Australia to look for her. But I don't see in this, you know, rendition of it that that is a lingering unresolved arc for him. I think that is just the the decision is made that he messed up with her and he is going to hold a candle for her. For the remainder of his life. Sure. Yeah. And that will either involve her physical space with, you know, her physical presence in his physical space with him or it won't. Right. But this, but this is the trajectory he's on for the rest of his life. He's like, I'm, I'm holding a candle for Nora for the remainder of my days. And that will either, uh, again, and, and I did read and you haven't seen these films, I don't believe. I've seen them both, but remember one of them much more strongly than the other one. The the, the inclusion of Australia and some of the themes definitely uh, were inspired, at least in part, by Peter Weir's films *The Last Wave* and *Picnic at Hanging Rock*. Which *Picnic at Hanging Rock* is a yeah we is, referenced is, that is, before. Yes, I I love that film. I love that film to a degree that I will overhype it to anybody I talk to about it because it just arrests my imagination completely. But um, but they're very much films about these whole like, yeah, the story may stop or the story may end, but this is a path that we're on. Right. I feel like in answer to your question, maybe I already answered it and I'm just repeating myself. But Kevin is basically it resolves to, OK, we messed up. I'm at peace with this is what we're going to do. And for the rest of my days, I will spend two weeks of vacation searching for this woman who I will find or I won't. 
but this right, is right, right, I, right. I live I live here now the proverbial yeah, yeah. I live here now I live in the perpetual search for this lost love for whom I still hold a candle and I will either someday find her or I won't and either and that is, is okay and and yes and either yeah, yeah, is yeah. just the path that I'm on um, and which uh, is really powerful so, yeah. because that tightrope is life itself you know because because mm-hmm. what you just described of I will pursue this end either to success or not either of which is outcome. Maybe he, maybe the hope can exist for a successful outcome, but there's a, a wholeness of agency inherent in the search itself uh, versus a Nora who previous to being found by Kevin, being able to unburden herself of this was not going to be okay with, with an an either or, you know, and, and maybe that's, sort of the takeaway and the, the, the lesson to learn for all of us as we examine our own lives is, is, you know, whatever outcome you'll be okay. Yeah. And you know, it's, I was wrestling with something earlier this week. Um, and I don't know, man, like I, I, I'm really reaching and maybe it's the leftovers fault to be candid with you. Um, but I was really thinking in the context of like the last couple of episodes that we've watched and discussed and, and particularly in seeing this last one, you know, there is so much weight and gravity right now on the way this is all going to play out, like the way this is all going to happen in terms of the pandemic, the election, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, racial and social justice within our country, like all of these things. These are, There is so much gravity and weight. And I reached a certain point. This is going to sound super existential and to be honest, perhaps a bit reductive. Like I reached a certain point because you get desperate to hold on to your job or you get desperate to hold on to your health or you get desperate to hold on to your candidate for the election or you get desperate to hold on to this or this mm-hmm, or this mm-hmm. or this. And I honest to God, Nathan reached a point not that long ago where I was really wrestling get a little vulnerable as we wind down this conversation, but I was really wrestling a lot with like, you know, being stuck inside my own head, which I go through cycles. I've, <laughs> I've done it on this, on this show before while we were recording an episode, suddenly it'd be like, Oh, and here's Reed's existential crisis for this mm-hmm. month. But, um, but I really did reach a point to where I was like, okay, at the end of this, whatever it'll be like, there will be my wife, there will be my son, there will be me. Um, and, 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 and whatever it is, we will find our path through it. We will find our way through it. And it may be hard, hard getting there. And it may be very, very painful and maybe ultimately won't make it through it on the other side. But this is the, this is the path that we're on and, and we're going to, we're going to hold our hands together and we're just going to, and we're just going to walk through this. And I think. You know, that's that's a journey that I just don't want to get into too many specifics about it because they would ramp us up into too many other things. But that's something that I recently came to as a a version of momentary epiphany. You know, I thought yep. about that balloon and I thought, you know, that we've used where we talk well, about can I throw a, you know, an insertion there of, of wrapping around with episode 200 looming to a deep cut fog cannon quote. And that's what you're calling to mind for me is I don't worry about what might happen, only what needs to be done. Yeah. Mm mm. I do love that movie. That's the village is so so wonderful. But um yeah. I'm just no, trying to I, give I, Beck Lee some work <laughs> as he annotates this episode. <laughs> it's true, it's true. Um 
But you know, yeah, and I and I thought about the and and they're all they're they're very metaphorical. You know, we opened this story, we 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 opened this episode, um, not the very first thing, but talking about this whole empirical truth versus versus a better story. And listen, for the for those out there who are like, empirical truth matters. Yeah, I get it. Okay, uh, I get as frustrated as anybody else, and I verbalized those frustrations on this show about the 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 wave of people saying, well, this is my truth. I get frustrated by that. I, I understand it. Empirical truth matters. Uh, stories matter. Let us not forget the fact that a large majority of Christ's ministry was telling stories, right. and, and there was a degree by his own admission in that that some people wouldn't understand, and some people wouldn't get it. But this is the story that he would keep saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Right. It's like this. And so I sit there in a moment, and and gosh, I don't even have a resolution on it. But there are moments where I'm sitting here, and I'm like, okay, yes, uh, in my prayers, I will be like, Lord, what are you telling me today that the kingdom of heaven is like? Because if you think he shut up 2,000 years ago, then I believe you're, you're, you're not in an ongoing, vibrant relationship with that anymore. And I know that's a really bold statement to tack on to the end of an episode. But I, I do sometimes get through the day and I'm like, okay, well, Lord, what are you going to tell me today that the kingdom of heaven is like? And I don't know the meanings any more than anybody else, but sometimes I'm, I stumble upon to a moment where I'm just like, yeah, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a, a balloon that was handed to somebody and they watched it drift and, and move away from them. Or, you know, the, the kingdom of heaven is like two people sitting uh, over a cup of tea talking about all of the histories that they've had together and whether or not they can be believed and saying, right. I'm here. You know, like there's so many times where I'm sitting there and I feel like maybe so much of it is about recognizing, um, you know, the the Lord comes to you disguised as your life mm-hmm. and that and that's what you it. are. <laughs> you said it enough. Um, so, but, but like that, yes, there are these moments that you come to where you pause for just a second and say, okay, that was, I come back to, you love to echo, and I've echoed it for you many times. You love to echo the refrain, the Lord comes to you disguised as your life. One that has become a foundational anchor point for me that I have referenced multiple times before, but that I will reference again is. Jacob, when he had utterly obliterated his life by betraying his brother and betraying his father and with the help of his mother, and you know, that talk about a dysfunctional family, and he had to run away so that his brother wouldn't kill him. And he lays down and he has a dream of angels moving up and down the ladder. And then when he woke up, he says that Lord, like lovely, lovely thing. He wakes up and he says, Surely the Lord was here and I was not aware of it. Hmm. And that's the refrain I, you know, in your vernacular, maybe it's the Lord comes to you disguised as your life. In so many ways, I get frustrated and tied up and then uh, will wake up in the morning and say, wow, the Lord was here and I was unaware of it. Yeah. I, I was, not, I was not aware of the, yeah, of, of the perpetual presence um, that is constantly trying to draw me into unburdening of my unburdening myself and and embracing Look what I found. You're home. I'm here. Like right. of 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 letting the mystery be. Yes. Of of all of these things that this show is dancing with. And, of, and we can't neglect you know, its usage at the top of this episode. Let the mystery which, be. Oh, let the mystery be. Absolutely. Um, that finally we get that song refraining yep. back after you know pivots back and forth. But it's all of these little you know. I don't know. Put put it on a rolodex and and 
and and cycle through the little spin wheel, the wheel of fortune, and land on a phrase. Like it's all these things. It's I live here now. You're home. I'm here. Uh, if I give up his story, I'll have to give up mine too. You know, like all of these same time next week, you know, like all of these, you know, just pick these things. And these are about the, the relationships and the community that, uh, you know, in our apocalypto statement, in our children of men statement that, that shepherd a new beginning toward tomorrow. Yep. Like, like that's, that's what these things are, are, are all about. And if you find that a bit too abstract and too, um, you know, discordant for you that you need something a bit more practical and tangible. Then, um, I, I feel, I feel you. I, I hear you. <laughs> you might be disappointed. <laughs> you, you might, yes. We explore. Because, we don't uh, explain. <laughs> we explore. We don't explain because because I feel like that's the it's it's the disciples looking at Jesus and telling him, you know, like, well, surely, you know, if you tell us where you're going, that then then. You know, he says, you know the way, and and they say, you know, how can we know the way? We don't know where you're going. He says, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. It's these kinds of... It's ineffable. Myst- yeah, it's these, it's these mysteries that we try so freaking hard to wrap a bow on and to put a package on so that we can control it and so that we can manipulate it and so that we can contain it. And the fact is uh, that that's beyond right. us. And the faster we come to that place that Matt Jameson speaking the realities of his heart and mind that Nora telling her story and unburdening herself and saying, I'm here the Kevin, you know, confessing, of course, I believe you because you're here and all of those different things, uh, you know, the, the truthfulness and the loveliness, the loveliness, sorry, I don't know why I can't say that word. (laughs) Loveliness. I thought that was a digital Um, hiccup happening. (laughs) No, that was a practical, that was a, a biological hiccup happening. Um, but, uh, but it, it, it's all of those things, and I know I've just expressed, you know, word vomit for well, five minutes and I think, here or more. I think, but I think a good takeaway and landing point too is the kingdom is like the leftovers. <laughs> mm, yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would concur. I, I, and if you want, yeah, and if you need, uh, yeah, and if you again, let the mystery be, y'all. Like just, just. Reed, let I the, am let so be. thankful. We didn't made this choice. This is a yeah, I am too. Great. Uh, what I find lovely and hope for each other and for listeners who are on the leftovers journey is is what you just described is the ability to when the cynicism gets too heavy and the the heaviness uh, becomes too burdensome that these nuggets will come to us, you know, of I'm mm. here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, let's be in it then. These yeah. little things like that, that, that help us better occupy yeah. the space we live in. Yeah. Um, because that is and, hard to do. It, it is, it is so dreadfully impossible. And, you know, we rarely speak out some, so, declarative of a you know an invocation or a proclamation of like what i'm about to do but like any of our listeners wherever you find yourself you know like wherever you uh even nathan you and myself as listeners if we revisit this episode at some point in the future like 
May you may you find peace in your skin. Yes. May you find peace in your Goodness. time. May you find may you find peace in in the moment in which you reside. If you are fearful, if you are uh, concerned, if you are 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 beset or burdened, like may you find peace and hope. May you come to realize that you are loved and and believed and and that uh, the first loved, if I can use that that very Christianese language. But you know, may you may you find the peace peace in your space yes. peace where you are um peace and where you you're can't going find it, i'm gonna um, say you gotta make it <laughs> mm, make mm-hmm. it and yeah because I, I, uh, I will yeah. say right now peace is very hard to find right now uh, it is it is maybe more than right now but very right now and no, if you can't absolutely. find it it is the, the task is on us the task is on us mm-hmm. to be Kevin's to people saying, I believe you. You're here. You're here. I believe you. Yeah. Yes. Whatever yeah. it is, you're here. It's Matt to Kevin. Let's mm-hmm. be in it. Like this is a thing. Yeah. We are incapable of. I do think there are pockets of this journey that are meant solely for you. It's, it's Nora on this path. Uh, it's Kevin on his alternate world path. Um, it's Matt on the sex boat. Like these things will be unique to you, but the, the sum of a life is not the ability to to, to carry it solo. The, the richness is in that camaraderie, that togetherness, that companionship, that pursuit. Yeah. Uh, even when you're not sure, um, it's live together, die alone, Reed (laughs) and, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It be, yeah, it be, it begins um let us, you know, the the I'm not going to get into all of the the specifics of the theological language there, but the you know, the the let there be and let us that keeps refraining through so much of scripture when it talks about heavenly things uh transmuting, you know, earthly and physical things mm. like let us and let there be, you know, and, uh, and, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's powerful and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And I'm, I, I, I know it's confusing and I know it's, it's complicated, but I'm so grateful to be able to explore it and to explore it with you. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. Well, for that. there we are. So, there it is. Reed. So, the leftovers. Uh, we did it. There it was the leftovers. Yes. I can't believe we did, but we did it. We, uh, we pushed um, the guild out well, to... and we talked about an entire, entire <laughs> series of the leftovers. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you want to, uh, do you want to do one last, uh, old fog meter on season three? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Uh, the, the fog meter is our own special metric, of fear and God, how scary is a thing, perhaps how frightful is a thing, and thus then how substantive, how much of God we find in the thing. Um, I'll lead here and say, in general, I think season three is not quite as insanely harrowing as some of the events of previous seasons. Season one is is a is a is a millstone around the neck in tone. Uh, season two is a meat grinder in tone. Uh, I do think season three <laughs> is a bit frothier, not in a, uh, uh, disposable way, but in a lighter way. So I, I think for me, sure. The right. fear, um, I, I do think they play with a lot of existential anxiety and, and that merits, uh, some points here, um, leading up to the, 
anniversary of the departure. And so I'll, I'll give it a, I'll give it a five on the fear factor. It's funny. Cause as you were talking, I was even thinking of a five for some of those same reasons. I think that's, I think it's any dread that occurs is of an existential variety. So I'll, I'll be right there with you with your five. Um, so on the, I'm just not going to mince any words. Like take it to 11. <sighs> <laughs> I will say so. Okay, so let me be a bit more a bit more direct about this. I think season three, as a distinct entity, probably earns an eight from me on the substance matter because of so much of what it does that threads through the entirety of the series. It's an easy ten. Um, but I think if I was taking this season in isolation, I think I would put it at an eight well, because I, I think it it. So I'll give it a nine. <laughs> Which is funny because I am unabashedly going to award this thing a 10 because I, I even think in isolation season three just aims for the heavens. And if, mm-hmm, if, mm-hmm. if that's our sort of goalpost for uh, the metric, I mean, these, the period scene that starts the, the season on the roof uh, sets right, a very high right. bar that rarely does the season dip below in terms of what it's you know, kind of clawing at. So yes, I will, I will unquestionably and unreservedly award a 10 on the God factor for season three of the leftovers. Awesome. So that means that we give season three, the leftovers a seven out of 10 on the fog meter. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I honestly should have done the research. I can't remember what we awarded season two and season one. Um, but, by now, it feels like almost a moot question to ask, but worth asking, would you recommend The Leftover Season 3 and The Leftover Series as a whole? Um, I, 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 Yes, absolutely, I recommend it. I do allow for the notion that it is an acquired taste, uh, mm-hmm. but if you are willing to uh, uh, sample... I think it's richly, richly rewarding in a way few long form works achieve. Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I dragged my wife into it, dragged her all the way through it. (laughs) She said, (laughs) let me out. I recommend it. (laughs) Um, But no, I I, I do recommend the show. I agree with you about the acquired taste and I, I, I believe it is. Uh, it does not shock or disappoint me when I find out it is not for everyone. It but does do, me a little bit, but that's because it. I'm a selfish mm. SOB. Mm. I'm just kidding. And <laughs> I want everyone to like everything I like. <laughs> I understand. No, I understand. Um, so, so yeah, that has been not only the, you know, the conclusion of the leftover season three and the conclusion of the leftover series, but, uh, the conclusion ostensibly of the hashtag in the morning series. If things go according to plan, which we have every reason to believe they will, uh, then there will be a forthcoming epilogue, if you will, uh, just as there was a preceding prologue. Um, So uh, as of this recording, that has not uh, been put in the books yet, but we fully expect that to happen. So um, aside from the forthcoming epilogue, 
to hashtag in the morning. We also are entering into October, Nathan. I cannot, I cannot believe it. So uh, Halloween time is upon us. We hope that your <laughs> we hope that your decorations are adorning your respective abodes uh, and your lawns. Uh, that your orangey lights are up and all of that good stuff. Uh, we hope that your you know your cobwebs are all uh, formally like established, not dusted off. Um, and next week. We are going to be entering into a very, very exciting month. October is always exciting for us. But Book Club is officially here. It's the first time we've ever done Book Club this way. We are going to be TV Guidepost style doing uh, Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. Um, And so we are going to be doing it in installments. So next week, make sure that you have read the prologue of Something Wicked This Way Comes, and up through chapter 12. It's only about 50-ish pages of material, but read all the way up through the end of chapter 12, and then you can pause if you want to read it as we read it, um, but read up through chapter 12 of Something Wicked This Way Comes, and then also we will be discussing a film, and we'll talk about the theme of October when we get into it, because it's pretty fun. But we will be discussing... Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. So, uh, d- you know... Uh, I've never seen it. I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm really... I, I just... I have so many thoughts about this film. I'm very, very excited. I'm eager for this coming month. I'm eager for it to be October and Halloween and all these wonderful things. So, uh, so yes. Uh, acquire your copy of Something Wicked This Way Comes and read up through Chapter 12 for next week. And also acquaint yourself with the John Carpenter-produced film Halloween 3 season of the witch and we will see you here next week nathan thank you so much for all of these wonderful conversations uh this has been uh, a real delight and uh just for being my friend and for being in it with me um as it were so um and listeners as we say on every episode uh, as well as thank you for continuing to listen to us and thank you for going on this journey with us uh the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom but not the end of the conversation and in that spirit we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing we'll see you next week everybody re re same time next week oh that's beautiful that's beautiful i love it same time <laughs> next week same time next week all right everybody we'll see you then bye all right peace out The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork to Lee Wright, who helped me read Lackey write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at MoreThanOneLesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, and if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.